Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask you to speak to us as we reach into your word this morning. Let your word work in our hearts and minds, transforming us more and more into your likeness. And in these difficult days, I pray that your joy would be our strength, whatever circumstances we might face. Amen. What strange days we are living in. It's got to the point where we've run out of adjectives to describe what nearly every person on the planet is experiencing right now. I read earlier this week that about a third of the world is now under some form of movement restriction. For most of us, it's probably just an inconvenience. But for many, the human tragedy is already profound. In addition to those facing sickness and in some thankfully rare cases death, livelihoods and dreams are dying too as the world economy has drawn to a halt. The coronavirus has removed our autonomy, our sense of safety, and the comforting but false belief that mankind can predict and stave off future dangers before they affect us. Our sense of human invincibility is being challenged, perhaps like never before. Since the turn of the year, we've been working through a series of messages on joy. Who would have thought when we began this series in January just how relevant and important these messages would be? The joy of the Lord is our strength. God is our source of real joy. A joy dependent on God's immutable character rather than the circumstances of life. This joy sustains us in suffering. It overcomes fear. And this joy is life-changing. It overflows from us as we love and serve those around us. And this is the kind of joy that we find in God himself, given to us to strengthen us at a time such as this. This morning, I have the privilege of closing out our series with the parable of the talents, a parable Jesus told about the joy of faithfulness. Many commentators tell us that the parable of the talents explains the way Jesus expects us to be faithful in using the talents. That's the gifts and resources we have and that he's given each and every one of us during the period between his ascension and his return. He has given us all an abundance of gifts so we can be fruitful servants in his kingdom. And he's told us that the faithful use of those gifts will produce real joy in our lives. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 21. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one, he gave five talents. To another, two. To another, one. To each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had received the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. 
And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he who had received the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what's yours. But his master answered him saying, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I've not sown and gather where I've scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I could have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast that worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a story about us. We are the servants in the story. If you're watching this today and you've responded to God's call on your life and you've given your life to Jesus, if you've acknowledged the price he paid for you on the cross and have made him your Lord and Savior, you belong to him. You are his very own servant. Isaiah 43 verses 1 to 2 tells us that God knows you by name. He called you to himself. He redeemed you and you are his. And he didn't just leave it at that. He is an ever-present help with you in all the circumstances of your life. In Ephesians 1, Paul explains that he chose you before the foundation of the world and he's blessed you with every spiritual blessing in Christ. If you are ever unsure about how God sees you, spend some time reading and pondering Isaiah 43 and the beginning of Ephesians. We are his. We're his very own servants. We belong to God and he's given each one of us great gifts. The Apostle James said, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Our God is generous with his gifts. He's given each one of us talents and capabilities. No one has been left out. Every one of you watching this service has talents. But these gifts are not yours to squander. They belong to God Everything we have comes from God and belongs to him. Our wealth, our capabilities, our skill, they all belong to God. The parable of the talents tells us this 
quite pointedly. It makes us acknowledge that our talents come from the Lord and that as his servants, we are accountable to him for how we use them. But it also promises much joy if we respond to God faithfully, investing the gifts he's given us, whatever they are, so that they grow and bear fruit. Oh, that we might be those over whom God declares, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Since the parable is about us and the way we see our lives, especially at a time like this, I'd like to see what we can learn from the two very different responses we saw the servants make. So let's begin by looking at the servant who got one talent. Let's see what he did with his gift. Verse 18 says, The servant who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. He took what had been given to him to invest and he hid it away until his master's return. Now, this action wasn't quite as strange as we might think. Rabbinic law stated that there was no liability for a servant if he buried his master's property to protect it, for this was conceived as the safest course of action to take. So Jesus wasn't just calling out the unfaithful servant in this parable. He was challenging the religious leaders too. What was the response of the servant to his master on his return? Take a look at verse 24. Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what's yours. This was a man who thought only of himself and his personal security. He was gripped by fear, so he lashed out. He impugned his master's character. You're a tight-fisted man. You're harsh and you exploit the labors of others. So I did what was the only reasonable thing to do. I kept your money safe, so here it is. How we see God has a direct impact on how we live our lives and how we respond to him. There is so much I could speak about here, but I want to focus on just one area. When we allow our circumstances to define our view of God, rather than trusting in what God says about himself in his word. Maybe the servant was miffed, he only got one talent. Maybe he was comparing his allotment to that of the other servants. We're not told what the root of his discontent was, but what is clear from his reaction was that this servant had no love for his master, and he viewed him as tight-fisted, harsh, and angry, and he was afraid of him. The context for the word translated afraid here suggests that this servant's fear was not a reverent, awe-filled fear of his master, like the positive view of God, the fear of God that Ian described last week. No, he was terrified because of how he viewed him. And so he did the minimum he was compelled to do. He did just what the religious law required of him. He hid the talent. Let's talk about fear for a moment. It's a natural response to fear to close down, to do the minimum, to hide away, locked away inside ourselves, closing others out, especially God. 
But he's the one most able to help us deal with fear. He's the one who's given us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. If you found yourself afraid and fearful at this time, you're not alone. I suspect that everyone, if they're really honest, has fears at this time. I woke up in the middle of the night last week, suddenly terrified about my health, my family's health, and about whether the church would make it through this season. How would we survive with what was going on? Fears compounded together and they like cascaded over me, which led to me tightening my chest. And that added just another fear that now I was somehow infected with the virus and I'm not going to make it through to tomorrow morning. Now those that know me, now, I'm normally a pretty level-headed, rational-thinking person. I am not given to extremes of emotion. But yet, I was gripped by fear. And it wasn't the helpful fear that drives us to action to avoid problems, but an emotionally charged, irrational fear. Why was I afraid like this? I just read a really helpful article by Andrew Bunt, a Bible teacher from one of our churches in the UK, who asked exactly the same question. He said that, well, fear is an emotion, and emotions should always lead us to ask questions. It's so easy just to dismiss our emotions. They get in the way, so we often ignore them or suppress them, push them down. In Christian circles, we might hear folks say things like, don't listen to your emotions, just listen to God's word. But that rarely works because it overlooks that our emotions can actually help us to know how best to listen to God's word, to hear what he has to say to us. If I might quote Andrew directly, our emotions are signposts, signposts to our thinking and to our loves. Our emotional reactions flow from the things we believe deep down and the things we love deep down. They're not random, spontaneous occurrences that appear out of nowhere. They're a window into what's really going on inside us. Don't just suppress or try to ignore the fears you are feeling. Ask God why. Why am I afraid? What's driving my fear? Now, the answer might be that the fear is entirely appropriate for what you are experiencing. For example, if you haven't been socially distancing, you are at a very real risk of catching the infection and passing it on to others who may be much more vulnerable than you are. If you are fearful because that's what you've been doing, that fear should compel you to immediate action, to stop, to stay at home, and not put others at risk. When facing an outbreak of the bubonic plague, Martin Luther said, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me and I have done what he expected of me. So I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely as stated above, 
See, this is such a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. Luther determined to be available to meet the needs of his neighbor regardless of the personal cost, but he refused to be part of the problem, considering it sheer negligence to do things that might inflict pain and suffering on others. But oftentimes, fear isn't helpful. Most of the fears I woke up with last week were quite irrational. I am doing the things I need to avoid the virus. And if I do get it, it's highly unlikely that I will get seriously ill or die. So why was I fearful? I know death has lost its sting. Jesus has taken away its power. And in fact, as a follower of Jesus, I know it is gain to die and be with him. So why would I be afraid? To get answers to questions like that, we have to do business with God. When huge fears overwhelm us, we can't expect to just spend a moment thinking about it and boom, have an immediate answer. We have to call out to God and we're only going to do that if we have a right perspective of who he is and what he thinks about us. Fear makes us shrink back, go silent, bury ourselves in the ground. We need to resist this and get with the master. We need to ask God why. We need to search our souls. We need to give time to allow our hurts and pains and fears and concerns be revealed before him, to be real before him. And that means pressing into God. We hear a lot about leaning in in these days. It seems to be a bit of an in phrase. I'm leaning into God. Now, I know what folk mean when they say that, but I want to encourage you. If you're fearful right now, don't just lean in. Press in. Give it everything. Give God room and time to speak to you. Not because he's slow to answer, but because we need to be prepared in our hearts and ready to hear what he has to say. As I did this the other night, I found myself really challenged by what God showed me about myself, how my values aren't as lined up with his as I thought they were. God showed me areas in my life that I really need to work on. I was also able to recognize and lay real fears about vulnerable family members that I can't be with right now at his feet. My fear was in facing the fact that I am powerless to do anything about the situation. And I had to come to a place of right understanding about God so that I was really able to trust him and his faithfulness as he reminded me that he is faithful and he does care about them even more than I do. So I was then able to hand them over to his care and love. As I began to think about it and then to actually acknowledge and own these things, a funny thing happened. Those fears, those formidable fears began to shrink and fade. God is nothing like the master as perceived by the unfaithful servant. He is faithful. He is trustworthy. And a wrong perspective of of him really will undermine our lives in so many ways, including 
how we deal with fear. Why not use some of the time you have while confined to your home to meditate on the attributes of God in his word, especially on his love and faithfulness, a love that led him to lay down his life and die for us that we might enjoy eternal life with him. I think we've spent quite enough time on the unfaithful servant. Let's turn now to the response of the other servants. The parable says that each servant received different talents according to their individual abilities. Verse 15 tells us that they went immediately to invest their resources. They were quick to respond to their master. There was an urgency about their actions and they were fruitful. They delivered a return in proportion to their original gift. And you know, it's really interesting that the reward given to the two servants was the same. The master said to each one of them, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. They both received the praise and delight of their master, together with increased responsibility and joy. We all have different capabilities, and so God has given us gifts that reflect what we can deal with. He's not out to overwhelm or destroy us. The allocation of the talents in the story by ability does make sense commercially, but more importantly, it also recognizes that God deals with us as individuals whose circumstances and personalities differ. And by the way, while commentators disagree about exactly what a talent would be worth today, they all agree that it represented a significant amount of money. Some estimate that a talent was worth 20 years wages. That's something like 750000 to a million dollars. So they all got loads. God is generous with his gifts. No one was shortchanged, not even the guy who got one talent to invest. It doesn't matter how big or how small our gifts are. God's reward is the same. And the reward wasn't more talents. This is not a story about financial prosperity. The servants didn't make more in order to get more talents. Their reward was joy and responsibility. That's because the issue is not about how much we have, but about how well we use what we have. It's about our faithfulness. The master's well done was given to the servants for their faithfulness. It wasn't well done, good and brilliant servant, nor was it well done, great and distinguished servant. Our faithfulness in using every gift we've been given, regardless of how big or how small, how significant or how modest, really matters. I love the way Sue put it in her devotional on Tuesday morning. You can check it out on the church YouTube channel. Speaking about the spiritual gifts we've received from God, she focused not on the gifts themselves, but on the descriptive words Paul associated with how they are to be used. Take a look at Romans 12, verses 5 through 8. We, though we are many, 
are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Paul tells us that we have all been given different gifts and they are all needed since we are one body in Christ. We're members together and we need one another. But look as well at the way he encourages us to use these gifts with generosity, with zeal, with cheerfulness. We're to be like faithful servants with our gifts, generously and cheerfully investing them so they bear much good fruit. You know, it's fascinating to see how things which just a few short weeks ago seemed to be so important are now almost meaningless. And other things that we took for granted or didn't give any time to at all have suddenly become really important. Who would have thought a humble roll of toilet paper would be worth more than gold? Maybe you're someone who doesn't believe you've got particularly useful gifts. Please don't believe that. Every one of us has gifts that are needed, especially in these days. If ever there was a day when those things that seemed weaker and less honorable deserve even more honor and respect, it is today. In closing, This is not the time to shut down, hiding your gifts in the ground. It's time for urgent action. If you're finding yourself in fear and distress, please press into God. Get real with him. Let him help you address those fears that are robbing you of the master's reward. But what can we do right now, especially if we're isolating? Firstly, you can pray. Ian encouraged us yesterday morning about just how powerful prayer is as he took us through the Lord's Prayer. And the day before when he told us the very personal story of Thea Clapp, there is no more powerful thing or gift that you can invest than giving yourself to prayer. You can pray with others. If you're not sure how to get going with prayer with others, email us at hello at newfrontierschurch.com and we'll link you up with one of our virtual community groups or with Christy Hoffman's pervasive prayer group on Facebook. You can reach out and show love and care to others. You might not be able to visit with anybody right now, but why not give someone a call and encourage them today? What about holding a virtual dinner party on Zoom? If you are well and you have transport, maybe you could join our Frontier Angels to deliver meals and groceries and prescriptions to those that are in need in our community. I reached out to our community groups this week to find out about some of the creative things that our church is investing its talents in to serve the community this week. I love what I've been hearing back. We've had folk donating latex gloves to the hospital, sewers, people that that knit things, making protective masks for healthcare workers. 
Others finding ways to pool their resources to buy gift cards to help keep local businesses going. There have been food deliveries, groceries for seniors, um, as well as diapers for babies, cleaning supplies, and all kinds of things. Folk are reaching out to the recovery community to help them to gather virtually during this time to make that possible. We've even had a group in one neighborhood writing jokes in chalk on the sidewalk as they go out for their exercise. This has been taken up by the rest of their neighbors who are adding a massive amount of jokes all around just to encourage and keep people happy. And we've had another team that have been snow blowing, maybe not so much anymore now the snow's gone, but snow blowing a, a health worker's drive who I understand was in tears when she got home because she thought she was going to have to do it after a long, long day at the hospital. Thank you, everybody, for stepping up so quickly, so urgently, for investing your gifts on behalf of others. I'd like to end my message this morning with a quote from Charles Spurgeon. Commenting on the point of the parable of the talents, he said, Is it not very sweet to think that though I may have only one talent, I shall not thereby de be debarred from my Lord's praise. It is my faithfulness on which he will fix his eye and not upon the number of my talents. I may have made many mistakes and have confessed my faults with great grief, but he will commend me as he did the woman of whom he said, she has done what she could. I pray that you are faithful in laying out all that you are and have for God. As long as you live, whatever faults you have, be not half-hearted or double-minded, but be faithful in intent and desire. This is the point of the judge's praise, the servant's faithfulness. I pray that in these days, we will be those over whom God says, well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful over a little I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master.